Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host, JR, and we are here to talk about all the things going on in the Big Ten. It's the basketball episode. We have one basketball episode a week on Tuesday nights, and it just so happens we also have some Big Ten basketball tonight. We have Michigan playing right now. I have that on my screen over here. I know Dakota has it on as well. Not too many, like, super interesting games tonight, so we probably won't get to those, but there were some bigger games with some bigger excitement factors. Uh, <laughs> Michigan State, uh, that we will be sure we touch on. <laughs> And talk about but before we get into that i'm gonna let dakota go ahead introduce himself and tell you where you can find them at dakota go ahead absolutely how's it going guys i'm dakota or boiler in texas on most social media platforms you can find me here on youtube as well same name i'm the host of the runaway train sports podcast primarily focused on purdue but we're starting to branch out and some more big 10 stuff happy to be here Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, Dakota. Appreciate you. And let's get to talk some basketball. So our first game, we have Michigan State loses in overtime to James Madison. Now, I knew James Madison was undefeated in football, and I knew about the football. I did not know about the James Madison basketball program. My, oh, my. This was a game all the way up until the end. Tyson Walker played amazing. Uh, He had such an awesome game, an MVP type of game. Uh, But it turns out, Nobody on his team could hit a three. And actually, he couldn't either. He missed all of his yes. as well. But he, he played amazing throughout the whole thing. And it's like Michigan State forgot to play defense in this one. Uh, Dakota, what were your thoughts? I mean, I mean, what more can you really say? I mean, to be fair, we have to give Michigan State the credit they do. James Madison, while may not be that big ticket name, you know, maybe outside of football this year, they are a, they were a very solid basketball team. They're old. They're experienced. They're a lot of what these mid-majors are right now, especially with these COVID years that these guys have. They're old. They're experienced. And they were not afraid of walking into the Breslin Center and coming out with a dub. I mean, I remember when uh, this game started, and I think I, along with pretty much everyone else, saw James Madison get off to a hot star. Michigan State kind of struggling. But you always kind of kept waiting for Michigan State to kind of turn it on. And then they did. And then they fell off again. And then James Madison made a bit of a run. And then they came back. And then James Madison made a run. And then all of a sudden, um, I, I remember I tweeted right before the end of regulation. I tweeted, I was like, is this going to be our first Sparty no of the year for basketball in, in game one? And, I mean, you basically hit the nail on the head. Tyson Walker was an absolute superstar performance, 35 points. I mean, he, yes, he did go 0-5 from three. But apparently they replaced every single inch of hardwood and backboard and, and rim in the Breslin. They go one of 20 from three. Definitely not going to win too many games um, shooting like that from three. Trust me, I know. And it was just one of these things. And I think we saw more than anything, we saw freshmen play like freshmen. I think we saw a lot of moments where these Michigan's highly touted. Yes, and they have the potential to be extremely good. But we saw freshmen play like freshmen. And especially in the first game of the year when you're expecting to maybe get a bit of good run, get, you know, kind of walk over, you know, this, this James Madison team. And all of a sudden you're getting hit in the mouth. And we saw kind of how they responded, and it did not look good at all. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Fears Jr., only one point in 12 minutes of play. Now, Xavier Booker, he had two points in five minutes of play, so he did a little bit more there. But still, only one rebound, I guess, in five minutes of play. You can't expect much more than that. But I think the story of this game is that James Madison didn't have, like, one of those statistical outputs that makes, you know, makes sense. Like, oh, well, they went, they shot 60% from three or something like that. You know, uh, neither team really shot that well in this game. Michigan State from the field was 36.1%. Uh, James Madison was 36.8%. Uh, James Madison was 8 for 29 for th- from three. Michigan State was 1 from 20. I know that... James Madison did out-rebound them. Uh, and that's kind of what I said going into this one is mm-hmm. I don't feel like 
Michigan State has that big down, you know, down on the block bruiser to be able to get those rebounds. Now, I thought we would see more of that in, you know, like the Big Ten play. I did not think we'd see that against James Madison. Yeah. Um, it was really, really interesting to watch and to see this Tom Izzo team fight. And like you said, it just seemed like every single time it was like, okay, Michigan State is turning back into Michigan State. Here they go. They're going to start taking this one. Uh, James Madison just hit him in the mouth right back. And, uh, and, it was honestly uh, pretty pretty surprising. What did you think of AJ Hogard in this one? Oh man, AJ Hogard got to be having a tough time online before the season starts. You know, he's kind of going on social media, being like, "Hey, I am I am me. Yeah. You're gonna see." And he comes out 34 minutes, nine points, 0-4 from three. They go five and six from the free throw line. That also wasn't too much of a gimme in this one, but two eleven from the field, 0-4 from three. There's going to be a lot of soul searching going on in East Lansing uh, before their next game, but man, that this is this is a tough look for especially I think more than anything the the old guys like Hogard, like yeah. Malik Hall. I mean, Maddie Sissoko is not necessarily one of the old guys, but he was there last year. He played in a lot of Big Ten games, and it was man, uh, this is not the Michigan State that I think we're going to see all year. But this has got to be a tough one to take on the chin night one. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sissoko averaged, what, 21 minutes per game last year. That's mm-hmm. what that's what he got in this one. He, he four, four points, he averaged five points per game. I mean, he, he basically was who he was a little bit last year. Now he only had four rebounds in this game. He averaged six last time. Uh, but I think the story was, you know, he got into foul trouble with five fouls there. Um, Absolutely. You, you just you can't get into foul trouble with a team like James Madison. Uh, you have yeah. to be able to dominate to the point. Uh, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, Hall had three fouls. Uh, Aikens had three fouls. Hogarth had four fouls. I mean, uh, it, 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 the story on this one was that Michigan State just couldn't convert from three, and they never had that pull-away moment where it looked like they were the confident Michigan State, we're the number four team in the country, and you're not going to beat us, yeah. uh, which you don't normally see from a Tom Izzo team. Normally a Tom Izzo team is pretty confident. You know, they can do things. Uh, but in this one, they just they just weren't. Um, anything else in this game you want to touch on before we move on? I mean, I think it's just it's important to say, like, yes, give Sparty their – you know, their, their jabs on Twitter and online. And they probably definitely deserve it with the performance they put out there. But I mean, these freshmen are insane. Um, give them a handful of games to kind of get back within themselves. And I think this is not going to be the Michigan state team we see towards, you know, the middle of big 10 play, but definitely just a, it was a surprising result in day one, you know, especially with the, the slack that the media was giving them with this highly touted recruiting class, Tom Izzo at the helm. And then you just come out and kind of just lay a goose egg. That's that, that's a tough one to take, but, at this point, you got to take it. Watch him come out and win the Big Ten after. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of people being like, "Oh, they're going to beat Duke now, aren't they?" And yeah. It's like, "Oh, maybe you never know." <laughs> that would be so Tom Izzo. It would um, be. All right, well, Dakota, let's get to your team now. Uh, Sanford forty-five, Purdue ninety-eight. Um, this one, I think you knew what was going to happen when you saw the tip when it was what the five-nine <laughs> guy. <laughs> I'll tell you this: they played it perfectly one from a marketing standpoint i could go on forever talking about that it was perfect and then they actually played it perfectly zach tips it into the corner of the front court and immediately hit the trap almost caused a turnover so i had to give it to him at that point obviously it ended up being a fletcher lawyer three in the corner but they almost they they nailed the play call for sure so 
Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, obviously Zach Eady is going to get his. Eady is going to be Eady, and Purdue had their assists like they always have. I mean, when you have a guy on the block like Zach Eady and he's, he's oversized, uh, or not oversized, but he's so much taller than all those other guys, um, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's going to get his um, and make, make plays happen, especially against a smaller team like this, but um, I, I was concerned a little bit, not too much, but a little bit with some of the turnovers in this game. You know, that's kind of what we've talked about with Purdue, you know, mm-hmm. the turnovers, you know, can the guards take care of the ball? Now it's kind of, you know, misleading 15 to 15 on the turnovers because, you know, some of the bench players that got in late had some of those turnovers as well. So it wasn't quite as even there. Um, but, you know, Braden Smith with three turnovers, you'd like to see that just completely mixed. Now, some of that is coming in early playing your first game. Uh, but still, I mean, that this is kind of going to be the question. I feel like most of the season can Purdue overcome these turnovers uh, and play well enough to really take care of the teams they should. Uh, and obviously they did here. Did you have anything thoughts about the turnovers though um turnovers yeah there were definitely a, a handful and i tell you what um sanford did absolutely wonderful job on their press they were opt- opportunistic um a lot of the times the uh, the turnovers on that uh that pre- that pressure i wouldn't say i would call it a press but I, I would say they were definitely pressuring him yeah. um they they absolutely timed it to perfection Braden smith looking over the bench getting a play call or something and just gets the hand in there perfectly um, a lot of the other times, I think some of the turnovers kind of came as Purdue was trying to push the ball up the court, and I definitely wasn't worried about it. They didn't come in the same ways, you know. Last year, towards the end of last year, it was coming on, you know, those quick turnarounds on the full court pressure, get to leading to easy baskets. This time, it was Purdue pushing the ball up before, maybe getting a little too ahead of themselves, or maybe just catching themselves out on the off, on the wrong foot at the wrong moment. I'm less worried about it, and like you mentioned, there was a handful of turnovers there towards the end when Purdue was playing there, you know, 15th guy at the end of the bench. I think I saw that of like you know the main core group that had about nine or ten turnovers, which is obviously a, a much better number. So I'm a little less worried. Um, I am glad to see that those those few moments where they were able to cause some chaos kind of came in this one as well. Um, if you win by 50, but you play perfectly, you don't really learn much from that. Um, so I'm glad there were still those moments in there that you can kind of point to on film and go, that can't happen against X. So. Right. Well, I will say, uh, you know, we got we got kind of the bad out of the way. You always got to look for a little bit of what could you improve on, like you said. Uh, man, I was I, I was thrilled, if I'm a Purdue fan, in this one for Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. Four for five and four from six from three. I mean, that's what you need from this team, right? They're, they're yes. starting lineup, minus Jones. You know, he was 0 for 4. Uh, but uh, Kaufman had one for one. Braden Smith, like I said, four for five. And Fletcher Lawyer, four for six. I mean, you got to be ecstatic seeing that kind of shooting from your starting lineup, right? I'm never going to turn down seeing us shoot 16 of 29 from three, 55%. Um, Braden Smith right away hunting his shot, taking that um, taking that open three. Fletcher Lawyer that lived in that uh, right corner and had at least two or three from there. Um, Coffin ran went up confidently. Um, everyone just seemed to you know, be able to see him go down, which I think exactly what we needed to see. Um but I think the, the biggest jump that we saw is those guys taking those shots confidently. I, I don't want to always hark back to the end of last year, but that's always going to be the comparison we make to this Purdue team, is that at the end of last year, you always saw them get those open shots and hesitate, thinking that they need to get the ball down to the national player of the year who's going to go for 30 and 20 every night. What we didn't see now is hesitation. They went up confidently. They went up strongly. And they absolutely just, I mean, it, it, it rained down early often, and this one was over pretty quickly. So it was absolutely what you needed to see game one. 
Yeah, and I mean, honestly, you look at it, and Zach Eady, only 20 minutes of play, 16 points, 11 rebounds. Like, oh, um. he <laughs> he is going to be another 30 and 20 every single game, it seems like. I know, you know, uh, the level of opponent, I know, but still, like, the dude is just absolutely dominant. I feel like he's going to win uh, National Player of the Year. He, I, I just don't see any way anybody else can unless somebody gets out there and just does something amazing. Because uh, yeah. at the end of the day, he is just... He is he is just un unguardable, unboxoutable, whatever you want to call it. Use your choose your words, and yeah, I mean, you exactly nailed it. I think he had two points in the first half, but that's when Samford was doing the strategy everyone employed at the end of last year again, yeah. harkening back, yeah. um, where they were going to put two or three guys on Zach and force us to beat them from the outside, in which we forced them to come back out. And you see, in the second half, he goes for fourteen and seven rebounds and a couple more blocks, and you, you just see. You can see the pieces, and Zach is. I mean, if you're going to get 16 and 11 from Zach on a on a about a slow night, if you can call it that, from him, I mean, I'm I'm never going to turn that down. That I don't think any other Purdue fan would either. I was going to say 16 and 11 slow night. It's like, oh well, Zach. I was just talking to somebody earlier today. They were talking about Bob Knight, which you know, uh, prayers for Bob Knight's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I don't think we talked about that. Oh, we did talk about it in one episode, but uh, so sad to hear his passing, but uh, we were remembering Bob Knight, and we were talking about how one of the Olympic Games, the USA team was just absolutely demolishing the other team at halftime, and Bob Knight gets into the locker room, and he, he looks at Michael Jordan straight in the face, and he says, you need to set more screens. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the dude's got like 20 plus points, tons of assists, I mean, he, he's out there balling, and, and you come yep. to the locker room, you need to set more screens. I just imagine Matt Painter like going to the locker room, like, what can I say to this? kid yeah, to yeah. <laughs> i mean what do, you, what do you say at that point I, it's it's one of those ultimate luxuries that i think any team would kill for of just having this guy out there that you know you can just put on the block and if they don't put two or three guys around him he's getting two points every time it, it's it's ridiculous and i fully admit that it's ridiculous but i'm not gonna say no to taking advantage of it yeah i mean if you have the cheat codes you're not gonna exactly use them, right precisely <laughs> exactly all right, well, let's get to the next one. Ohio State-Oakland. Uh, Ohio State played this one against Oakland. Obviously, they were at home. Uh, this was a bit of a nail-biter. Uh, in the first half, Ohio State was down 35-34 to 34 to Oakland. Uh, took them a little while to get going. I will say, at the end of the day, uh, Zed Key, who did not start, he probably had the best game of anybody, if I uh, you know, if I remember correctly. Uh, he had 17 points. He had how many rebounds? I'm looking at here. Uh, eight rebounds. That's right. I knew he almost had a double-double. Um, I think the story of this game was how happy Ohio State fans have to be with Scotty Middleton. Scotty Middleton coming in, playing good defense. I wouldn't say it's the best defense in the world, but he played good defense, had a steal, 13 points, two for four from behind the arc. Um, you know, I would just like to harken back to our very first basketball episode when I had, you know, said that Scotty Middleton's probably going to be one of the top two freshmen in the Big Ten this year. Um, again, I know who the opponent is, but um, it was really, really nice for Ohio State fans to see Scotty Middleton get out there, play well, uh, and then the, the guard duo for Ohio State I think the guard duo for Ohio State played better than the Michigan State duo 
did uh, for them. Even though Tyson Walker had an amazing game, uh, you still had Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale, both with 17 points, uh, four turnovers combined, so not what you want to see there, but still, seven assists. Uh, Roddy Gale had seven rebounds. Um, you know, I think it was overall, even though the score was close, it was overall a positive experience for Buckeye fans walking away, seeing, okay, we, we got Zed Key back. He's playing well. We got some stuff from our freshmen that we wanted to see. Our guard duo is playing well. Um, I, I think I think it was a positive day for the most part. What were your thoughts, Dakota? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those – this is one of those games where you may kind of lament in it in the moment considering the uh, the level of competition, in which I want to take a quick aside. The level of competition comment I always find funny because you can give people the pass for the level of competition for scoring doing well but I very rarely see people really go the other way uh, if you really struggle against the competition. I mean, these guys go out and they play ball. I mean, I, yes, some teams might be rated higher than others, but these guys just want to go out there and play ball. And so, yeah, you guys got got pushed. That's going to happen. Um, you guys got to continue to gel, get these young guys going. Like you said, they have very positive performances. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from this game is how happy Buckeye fans must be to see Zed Key back. I mean, after especially after last year, where I feel like you guys really missed him down the stretch last year. Um, to see him come in, get 17, 7 to 9 from the free throw line, 5 to 7 from the floor, 8 rebounds. I mean, that's a very solid performance coming off of it. And this is going to be one of those things where I think Ohio State's going to kind of have to gain that momentum through uh, the beginning part of the season. Just like kind of apparently like a lot of Big Ten teams um, that you're going to take the win. You're going to take the kind of like we talked about with the uh, the Purdue games. Like you're going to take the good with the bad. You're going to focus on the bad. And you're going to focus a little bit on the good and just kind of move on to the next game. And and I think these next couple of results will be where you really see the fruits of this one. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you're going to bring up the bad in this one, because it's only fair to bring up the bad for Ohio State since I brought it up for Purdue, but <laughs> uh, they did they did turn the ball over too much as a team. Uh, they didn't necessarily play good enough defense to where they were getting steals. I didn't think the defense was awful. I think the defense definitely improved in the second half. It was not great in the first half. Um, but I, I definitely think that you have to force more steals, uh, especially against a team like Oakland. You have to force more steals um, and turnovers for the other team than one what you give up. I think uh, Bruce Thornton was the only one in the starting lineup that had one or less turnovers. And that's not what you want to see out of guys like Felix Akpara, Jamison Battle. Um, you want to see those guys who are not the primary ball handlers take take care of the ball more uh, in this one. Do you have any thoughts on the turnovers? Yeah, I mean, turnovers are going to be a killer. I was just looking at it. I mean, Oakland took, what is that, nine more shots um, than you guys and 10 more threes, made seven more threes. And so you want to kind of look at the numbers there, I mean, that's nine more possessions minimum, and they made seven more threes, so that's that many more points on on top of it. Um, turnovers are always going to be momentum killers too, because I mean, I don't know how many times you'll see you'll get a get a bucket, get a stop, get a bucket, get a stop. You're hyped, about to go on a run, bad turnover, quick bucket, foul on one, quick three, blah 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 blah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, turnovers will be killers, and that's kind of the stuff you can clean up as it goes on. But yeah, it's it's a little worrying to see you know quite the number of turnovers kind of. Spread evenly. I don't know if you really want to consider that a good thing or a bad thing if it's spread across multiple people, but I guess, well, I guess maybe one guy having six turnovers might be a little better than everyone having three, but yeah. um, that's something that you can clean up, though. I mean, first game of the season, first live ball, everyone's hyped up, and you kind of just get a little bit ahead of yourself. You know, first game at home, first game in front of the fans, get a little ahead of yourself, and those things happen sometimes. 
Well, really, it was the guys who uh, were playing their first game that struggled in this one. I talked about exactly. how Scott Middleton did well, but, you know, Dale Bonner, who obviously he's a veteran, but it's his first time playing back in Ohio because uh, the kid is from Ohio. If you don't know the Dale Bonner story, go look it up. It's a really, really great story, uh, how he was recruited, uh, got to D2 basketball, then made his way to Baylor. Um, just a really, really cool story um, about that. But, yeah, Dale Bonner, Devin Royal, Evan Mahaffey, uh, you, you know – those guys are going to play better. I think it was a rough first game for him. And of course you could tell Chris Holtman was, was taking them out pretty early, not giving up yeah. much because he, he noticed like, this is okay. This just isn't your game. Uh, yeah. yes, Evan Mahaffey, you started, but you're only going to play 14 minutes. Uh, hey, that happens. One. we're yeah. going to give it to Scotty Middleton. We're going to give it to Zed key. Uh, those guys. So any final thoughts on this game? I mean, they pulled it out. I mean, there's there's some teams that we might be talking about here again soon that weren't able to do so. And so at the end of the day, uh, one of my favorite things to do on Twitter after Purdue wins the game is, you know, our points are more than their points. At the end of the day, doesn't matter if it's by one or 50. The win's a win, then you move on to the next one. Yep, yep. That, exactly true. All right, uh, we are going to talk about a team that lost in this one. Rutgers falls to Princeton, 61-68. to I would like to point out, if you have forgotten, Princeton was a Sweet 16 team. Line. I was going to bring that up, too. <laughs> Let's not forget. Princeton's not, not – it's not old Princeton. We're, this is new I, Princeton. And I believe they still have the same coach, right? Yes, I want to yeah, want to say so. so. Uh, if if we're wrong on that, and you know, please put it in the comments. Yes, um, we'll, we'll check ourselves. But uh, but yeah, I I think in this one, and we'll talk about the the guys who left here in a minute. But um, the the struggle was exactly what I thought would be one of the struggles this year, and unfortunately, the one guy that I thought that would be able to take care of those struggles was not able to take care of it. Uh, Rutgers. Four for 14 from behind the arc. You could tell that they did not want to shoot the three-pointer as they were missing it more and more. They needed to. They needed to spread the ball around. They needed to get that team out on the the, uh, three-point arc more because it was just too congested in there. It was a difficult game for them. Uh, Amorye, he had a good game with 12 points and seven rebounds, but... You know, if you're going to be a Morier and you're going to lead this team, you have to get more than that out of your star player uh, to be able to do that. But you also had some guys who played a good amount of minutes and they just didn't shoot well at all. Uh, You know, Davis, two for 10. That wasn't that wasn't great for him. Uh, Fernandez, he he was three for 16, 26 minutes played. Um, You know, so some of these guys, it wasn't just the three point shooting. It was just the shooting in general, really, really low. Uh, And Hyatt, you know, 0 for 5, 18 minutes played. You know, you have to get better production out of guys like that. Uh, What were your thoughts on this one, Dakota? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, you got to have some more production from the outside. I mean, Marie's going to be the guy for them this year. I mean, he's getting hyped up as like first team all Big Ten, um, and I, you definitely can see it. The guy's a freak athlete. I mean, the dude is long and can move in ways that I only dream I could. Um, but if you don't have that outside production, or if even if you're just not willing to take them, I mean, even Princeton, I mean, I guess Princeton shot 45%. They went 9 of 20. They, they quote-unquote only took 20, but at least they hit 20. Um, only taking 14. I mean, even a, a bad shooting team, I think, probably needs to be getting up at least 17, 18 threes in a game, at least just to keep the uh, the defense honest, at least make them think about it. Because once you once you allow them to sag back into the, into the lane, just clock things up, really ugly it up, that's when you can kind of get in a lot of trouble, especially if you just don't have the production to uh, to pull them back out. I mean, Amori had a great game, like you said, 12 points, uh, seven boards, four blocks. I mean, he, he got his. Sure, you'd probably like to see him up that 6 of 12 field goal shooting. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm sure he was getting hounded all night down in the paint. And so, 
But you also got to get a lot of credit to Princeton. I mean, there's a neutral side game against in-state head-to-head, which we do love. We love the good in-state head-to-head. But Princeton, they came out and they executed and they hey, they got a dub. And Rutgers had a lot of soul-searching to do this year, especially with the guys they lost. Segue. And then, uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is this just feels like that Rutgers, this Rutgers team, this Rutgers program where they'll have those old guys come in and they'll be very good for a year. And then the next year they might struggle to kind of figure out who they're going to be with this new roster. And so I think time will tell with them. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to point out some of these Princeton players because uh, some of them did return from last year uh, and the starting lineup played a good amount of minutes. They had three different players on the starting lineup who played over 35 minutes. Uh, but that Matt Alaco, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, from Hilliard, Ohio, uh, dude had 21 points. I did have four turnovers, but still nine rebounds, 21 points. Uh, I mean, the dude was out there. He was just balling. He was having a really good game. And Caden Pierce, uh, the six, seven forward, uh, managed to get 15 rebounds, especially down there with uh, Cliff yeah. Moyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that that's huge. Uh, that, six offensive rebounds in this game. I, I think that was just kind that's, of that's that a was one of the main things that that turn this game uh, in Princeton's favor and made that happen. So, uh, hey, I'm from Hilliard, Ohio, so I like to see Matt Alaco. Uh, I I have no idea who he is. I never (laughs) went to high school with him or anything. He's obviously much much younger than me. But, uh, hey, I like to see a guy from Hilliard, Ohio, where I'm from. (laughs) Absolutely. I get it. So, all right, uh, we're going to get to more Rutgers with some guys leaving here in a minute. But first, I want to tell you about college basketball analytics. All right, cbbanalytics.com. We have partnered with them. I've gotten a free CBB analytics uh, user tier or whatever they call it. I think it's called a tier. Um, I, I have the pro tier because I've partnered with them and I want to make sure and tell you about CBB analytics. Tons of great stuff there. It's all like game breakdowns. You can see in-depth stats. You can see much more than what you can see on a box score on ESPN and those kind of things. You can almost feel like you figured out the game just by looking at the numbers on your own. So again, that's not how I do these breakdowns. I do watch the games. All right. I'm not just looking at the stat sheet. But I do want to make sure and tell you, CBB Analytics, go there for all of your college basketball analytic needs. All right, so here we're going to go on to how the ex-Rutgers basketball stars have performed in their debuts with their new teams. All right, so if you're a Rutgers fan, you know Paul Mulcahy. Oh, there's an advertisement. Uh, Paul Mulcahy, he he has gone to Washington, uh, and he did. Okay, in his first game, I mean, he, he scored nine points, three of four shooting. I mean, you know, kind of what you expected out of Paul McKayhee yeah. and Cam Spencer over at UConn. But we'll talk about Paul McKayhee at first. Uh, what what were your thoughts on Paul McKayhee leaving Rutgers and how he's playing now uh, for Washington? Man, that w- this one really surprised me. I don't know. Obviously, we'll never know exactly what goes on behind the scenes of these types of moves. But, you know, Paul McKayhee really, to me, was like that Rutgers guy. I mean, scrappy, you know, just just frustrating the heck out of you on some nights. And so I was very surprised to see him leave, but obviously had a very efficient first game out there in Washington. I mean, three or four shooting two, 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 one or two or threes go with eight rebounds, seven assists. That hey, I, definitely a solid line, but I was, I was really shocked to see this one um, when he left, but obviously Rutgers is probably missing that level of uh, consistent pr- uh, production that they would have gotten out of him. But I mean, kid thought it, what it was going to be best for him. And, can't fault him for that, I guess. 
Yeah, and I got to be honest, I, I was kind of surprised because Rutgers was, you know, they were a better team last year than Washington was. And I, I personally, I feel like, you know, Steve Peichel is a better coach than Mike Hopkins. Now, Mike Hopkins might, you know, be a better recruiter or something like that that I'm not aware of. You know, I don't follow Washington like I follow Rutgers basketball. But I would say Rutgers was not a bad program last year. And they were definitely bringing back guys and they were bringing uh, good guys in there uh, for, you know, Gavin Griffiths, some of those other guys that you would think, okay, this team is going to improve from last year but uh, I mean I, I want to read the comments that Mike Hopkins said about Paul McKehee because I just I feel like this is exactly what Rutgers is missing uh, right now based off that game with Princeton he said he's just a really good basketball player he passes he finds guys he defends he's tough he'll guard a five man uh, he'll guard a point guard really good player you see his IQ out there how he set up some of his assists made some passes really good player. Um, Dakota, if you had to guess, how much is Rutgers going to miss him this year? Oh, I mean, I think they're already missing him. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head where they, they did. I mean, they they didn't have the finish of the season they, they wanted last year, and they definitely um, were wishing they kind of put themselves in a better position towards the end of the year. But, I mean, you bring back Paul McKay, and I know we're going to talk about Cam Spencer here in a second, but you bring those two guys back with Amorier down down low, I mean, that's a very solid team, and it's it, – that's why I think it was so puzzling as like Rutgers just felt like they're right on the cusp to really just take that next step. I mean, obviously there are leaps and bounds from where they were when they initially got into the big 10, but it, it felt like they were right there on the cusp. And as a Purdue fan, that frustrated me a lot because they always seem to have our number, but they, they looked like they were right there on that line and they were, were one or two guys away, potentially one or two guys away from right. really cementing themselves on that next level in the big 10. And so I think they're missing him a lot. I think so too. We'll go ahead and start talking about Cam Spencer. Start us off there. Yeah, I mean, he goes out to UConn, which I mean, I think that just goes to show the caliber of player that he is. UConn going out there to Piscataway to take Cam Spencer. Um, he had eight points, two of three shooting, oh of two on twos, but two of two on threes, two of two from the strike, five assists, a board, a steal. I mean, that's a very solid opening line. Obviously, I don't think UConn was uh, struggling too much against Northern Arizona. They end up winning ninety-five to fifty-two, but. I mean, that's a very solid outing, but I'm sure a lot of guys got minutes. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how he evolves in that team. Obviously, UConn has some pretty decent expectations this year. So to see what a, what a Rutgers transfer can kind of cement himself in the lineup and the rotation, see where he can carve out space for himself. It'll be interesting to follow. I mean, he was a very good player as well. And, I mean, to go out there to UConn, make an impact, even if it's just eight points on a pretty efficient shooting, I think that's good for him. I mean, that's a good spot. You think it's something about the Huskies? Uh, they both left for Husky teams. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, maybe it's just the dog mascot. Does UConn have an actual dog mascot? Uh, I, don't I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they do. I know Washington does, but yeah, I guess I guess UConn may maybe not. But it's hard to even then. It's hard to ignore the allure of the reigning national champs. Yeah, it's like it's like they they went completely opposite ends of the country. They really did. <laughs> they really did. <laughs> both found themselves at Husky Pro. <laughs> yeah. For sure. uh, yeah, no, I think I think Dan Hurley got a really, really good guy here. Now, I'm always skeptical about a guy who transfers and then transfers right away afterward. I forget where he was at before Rutgers, but um, <laughs> he uh, he transferred to Rutgers, had an impact there. Uh, I, I was surprised, like with Paul McKay, he maybe not as surprised, but still surprised uh, that he left that program and went on to UConn. Uh, but UConn is, I mean, they just won the national championship. You can't blame a guy if he has the opportunity to go play for the former national championship team or the reigning national championship team uh and they say hey you're gonna be a key part of this team and you're gonna make a difference i mean eight points in this one uh like you said two or three from 
from three point shooting, um, you, you can't really turn that down. Uh, I think I think he found himself a team that he's going to be able to win with, um, and you know it, it's really really good. Now there's two other guys, uh, Dean Reber, who went to Charlotte. He didn't do much in this game in their game. Uh, Jalen Miller, who went to Oral Roberts, he did have eight points uh, in their game. So uh, those two as well. But I think the two biggest ones are Cam Spencer and Paul McKayhe. Um, do you think that? Rutgers fans kind of need to adjust their expectations this season without these guys. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, I don't know if I would say um, adjust based on this result against Princeton. I think they definitely had to readjust um, once the news kind of came out that they let and that they were leaving. Um, obviously, they have some guys coming in, I believe, next year that are really going to transform the program. And so I think they're they're probably looking at this year as a let's get through this year. Let's not lose too much momentum. Maybe get in the, like look in the portal if, if any of these other guys leave and try and really put some guys around that incoming class. So I'm sure at this point they probably adjusted down their expectations a little bit, but for the most part, I think Rutgers is still in a pretty decent spot. They'll be, they'll be feisty in the big 10, just like most teams are. And uh, they'll, they'll, they might just have to look at this one as a bit of a a bridge year or rebuilding year. If you want to use that term. Right. Yeah. And Cliff Amoya is a senior this year. I don't remember if he is one of those that we're coming down to the end of the COVID year, by the way. I think there's really only like one more year because I know Zach Eady technically technically has a COVID year if he wants to use it. I welcome him to come back to West Lafayette if he so chooses. Doubt it happens, but I think we're coming down to it. I think he might have been a freshman when that when that happened. No, he yeah, fresh yeah, COVID was his freshman year. So I think he we might be coming very close to our last year of COVID year. So who really knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, anyway, he's a senior. He could be gone this year. We'll need to do some homework on that and check on that. But all right. Our final story to get to before we head out of here today. Oh, and I forgot to make a little thing for it. Oh, well, we'll just give it a bit there. Uh, our final story for us today is Juwan Howard. There's still no timetable for Juwan Howard to return. Uh, John Fanta wrote a story on this for uh, Fox. Uh, I think I-, I love John Fanta. I think John Fanta does wonderful Absolutely. work. I-, I listened to him on the field of 68, one of my favorite college basketball podcasts, other than this one, of course. Uh, <laughs> but he said, uh, update on, on Juwan Howard and his return. Still no timetable. We'll see when they get back. Uh, obviously, it doesn't look like they're missing him tonight. I have the Michigan uh, game on against UNC Asheville right now. Um, but how big of a hit do you think this takes to the Michigan team, Dakota? Oh, I mean, whenever you lose your head coach, no matter who you're playing or where you're at, it's going to it's gonna take a toll. And I think the one benefit that Michigan might actually have is the kind of system that he instilled is very NBA-esque, where it very heavily relies on the individual guys' talents anyway. And so obviously they're going to they're gonna be missing him on the sideline. Um I'm and I'm sure his his staff is doing the best they can to manage it in the meantime. But at this point, I mean, I think recovering from something like uh, what was it an a, uh, aortic aneurysm? Um, I think that's probably better better to focus on recovering from that. Michigan, I think, will be all right. Like you said, they're not necessarily having too many issues tonight against UNC Asheville. But whenever you're missing your coach on the sideline, it's it's a big hole that you need to fill, and it's definitely a void left left over there. But I think they might actually even come out on the other side better forward, learning how to uh, kind of continue to learn how to play together. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if Jawan Howard was always the best in-game coach. That was kind of our yeah. criticism at the beginning of the year. Uh, Phil Martelli, he has always seemed to be a better in-game coach to me than uh, Jawan Howard was because, you know, back, what was it, a year or two ago when he uh, struck that Wisconsin – assistant coach or something like that and he was yep. gone for a game was how long was suspension was that 
I forget. It was a few um, games. It was a few games. But it was a few games. I remember thinking, like, okay, Phil Martelli is kind of doing some different things with this team, yeah. and, and I kind of like the way that he's coaching in the game a little bit better. Uh, now, obviously, we can't know all of those things, so it could have just been that the players were more excited. Yeah. I have no yeah. idea. Or playing for yeah, the coach not. more or something. Exactly. Um, but what are your thoughts on Phil Martelli and what he can bring to this team that maybe Juwan Howard can't? Well, I think you you nailed it. I mean, it's just a new perspective. Um, I kind of mentioned it at the top of the segment that I think Juwan Howard's kind of philosophy when it comes to running offense is kind of like let guys play their game, play a lot, a little bit more of an individualistic style. Um, and Phil Martelli might be able to come in and it's still maybe just a little bit of structure. I think that might have been one of the things that kind of has hurt Michigan over the last few years is like, you, you want a little bit of structure in there. You want to be able to have some stuff that you can always go back to. And I think Phil Martelli especially has definitely has the capability to instill that kind of stuff. And at minimum, just kind of put that little bit of rigor into the into the program, especially when they, as a program, kind of relied a lot on the transfer portal. So you're, you're getting guys in for a year or two and you're having to constantly you know, gel new guys in. So I think it could be actually a really welcome opportunity for him to you know, kind of step in and, and get those guys together. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Phil Martelli is going to show himself here in this one and, and what an asset he has proved to be. I mean, probably one of the best Big Ten assistant coach hires, uh, and, you know, since Juwan Howard has gotten to Michigan because, you know, what he's been able to do while Juwan Howard was gone there for that stretch, uh, what was it? Like I said, a year or two ago, uh, and then this season as well, being able to come in and help with that as well. Uh, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Michigan's plays St. John's coming up, don't they? Let me pull up Michigan's schedule. I have it right here. It's Monday. Yes, St. John's, uh, which Phil Martelli, mm-hmm. I believe that's where he coached from. So. I think it was. So that'll be an interesting game for sure. 6.30 on FS1. All right. Yes. No Big Perfect. On this, Yes. No Big Ten Plus. Thank God it's at St. John's. Now, that'll be a really fun one to watch. Um, St. John's obviously has a lot of renewed life and going to have that little bit of extra twist with the uh, the Martelli connection. So yeah, it'll be time will tell. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, we thought Peacock was bad, and then threw Big Ten Plus on us. Like, oh, that's true, man. <laughs> Peacock, honestly, Peacock's a lot better than Big Ten Plus, so yeah, can't, I can't, I can't take Peacock in vain in this conversation. When I when I told my wife that we had to get Peacock so I could watch Big Ten games, uh, she wasn't necessarily too happy. Well, then she found out that they have like the what is it, the Beverly Hills Wives and oh, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> so there's other like, stuff. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm learning. I mean, I. Uh, I also got it just for Big Ten football. And one night I was like, after football ended or something, I was just looking. I was like, oh, they got some okay shows on here. <laughs> I guess I could take advantage of this outside of a Saturday afternoon. So, Well, what really convinced me was that they have The Office on there. As well. Oh, that's so, a big one. Yeah, that's a good one. Able to get that, so. For sure. All right. Uh, any more final thoughts about uh, the Big Ten or anything uh, you want to touch on before we get out of here, Dakota? Man, Big Ten basketball is back. I'm so excited. And not only just because Purdue's slated to do pretty well this year, I... Uh, I'm a basketball guy. I played basketball in Indiana. I love it to death. I went to every Purdue basketball game when I was a student there. I'm so happy that it's back, and it's just another year. It's going to be an awesome. Last last year of, uh, I guess you can call it the new original Big Ten before all the expansion stuff comes yeah. in. So got to take advantage. I'm very interested to see what that does to the to the basketball uh, yes. scene. I, I think I have my ideas with football, but it'll be very interesting to see what it does. And hey, we just made it through a full episode, and we didn't talk about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and sign stealing once. So there you go. What in some place to get a safe haven from that? <laughs> you found it here. There we go. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Dakota. Please go visit him, Boiler in Texas. Right. Yep. Nail it. Boiler in Texas. Go visit him there. Appreciate Dakota coming on. Have a great night. See you, everyone.
sehen. <lacht>